Have you ever used the phrase, someday this will be a great story? You know, maybe not about the situation we all find ourselves in, but you've probably used that phrase before. Someday this will be a great story. And typically when you use that phrase, the situation you find yourself in, you would, have ra- you would rather not be in that situation. Savannah and I had one of these situations once. We were trying to travel uh, from Texas to Salt Lake City for Christmas. And at first we went up to Oklahoma to visit my parents. And then about 12 or 14 inches of ice and snow hit Oklahoma. The governor shut down the state. I think that's what he said. Sorry, the highways are closed. Everything shut down. And so we couldn't get out of Oklahoma. So we missed our flight. We, we got new flights and we drove down to, to Dallas and we got to the hotel. We were flying out early the next morning and we got to a hotel and they said, uh, your reservation is for tomorrow. Okay, do you have anything tonight? Uh, we, we finally got on the plane the next day and we were late leaving. We had a connection in Phoenix and of course we just knew we were going to miss that flight. And so we are seriously running through the terminal, kind of like uh, Home Alone 2, if you've ever seen that movie. We are running through the terminal, only we get to our gate and they've moved it to a whole other uh, section of the airport. So we run all the way over there and we barely, just barely make the flight, you know, so much so that when we get there, we are just you know, drenched in sweat. And we said to each other, someday, someday, this will make a great story. And you typically don't say that to yourself. You typically say that line to whoever you're with. Because when we're facing difficult situations, it helps to be in it with someone who has your back. It helps to be in that situation with someone that you know loves you. When you're facing difficult things, it helps to go in it with someone who loves you. Well, I want to welcome you to Crosspoint this morning. If you are joining us online or if you're here in person, we're so glad that you're here to worship with us today. You know, church, I've said it a few times the last few weeks, but church is not a place to go, but it is a people to be. And this church is one of those groups of people. Thank you for being here again, whether you're online or in person. And, and if you're here, I want to say thank you for wearing your masks If you're watching online, I'm going to tell you, I think we have about 99% participation here. I'm not calling anyone out, Brian, but if you, um, but I, but I, it doesn't really matter what you think about masks. When I see you wearing it, I see someone who's saying, I love my neighbor, so I'm going to wear my mask. And when I wear it, that's, that's hopefully what you see for me, that I love you. And so I'm doing that. So, you know, we all want what's best for each other. And so I want to say thank you for that. You know, talking about this church family and how we are trying to love other people, I want you to know that you fed uh, two entire elementary schools lunch this past week. Typically, we have them here uh, leading up to their school week, and we couldn't do that, of course, this year, but we still sent them lunch, and so that was only because of what you guys do when you faithfully give that we're able to. Yes, thank you. And so those schools uh, gave Crosspoint a big thank you, and and of course we want God to be glorified in that, so thank you for showing some love to our neighbors. I also want you to know that we've been gathering school supplies, and our conference room back here is full of school supplies. Again, that's because of of the money that you've given and, and the hard work of a few members here who went and got all those school supplies. So thank you that I know there will be many teachers and students that will be blessed because of that. You know, because... What we want is we want more and more people to know the name of Jesus. That's 
our goal. That's why we do what we do here. And as part of that, we want to help our people here build a foundation in Christ. And so there is a resource that's going to be coming to you today, and it's called Right Now Media. Most of you will get an email at about 11.30 today, an offer to sign up for what's called Right Now Media. The best way that I can describe it is it's kind of like Netflix, but for... Uh, before church-related things. There's a whole section for kids. There's over 2,000 videos for kids that are devotional worship videos um, that will help your kids learn scriptures. For adults, there's a ton of small group material. There's, there's Bible learning material in there. If you, you know, maybe like Steve mentioned, you've been reading along with us, and we've been in Jeremiah and 1 Corinthians, and I think you can find both of those materials on Right Now Media, things that will help you understand scripture a little better. And And if you've got a smart TV, or if you've got an iPad, or whatever you have, if you have access to the internet, you are going to have an an opportunity to get Right Now Media, again, at about 11.30 today. And so if you have trouble with that, reach out to me, and I'll help you with that. This will be, uh, we know it'll take some time to get everyone on there, but we think it's going to be a resource that will really help you and your family uh, just dive deeper into the Word of God, take your faith a few steps deeper. And so we hope that you will make... uh, take advantage of that. You know, today we're going to finish up a series called Back to Bible School. I don't know what it was called when you were growing up, whether you called it Sunday school, Bible class, Bible school, but many of us grew up going, the, going to that, and we, and we learned the stories of Scripture. You know, we learned things like Adam and Eve and Noah's Ark, uh, David and Goliath. Those are the three that we've covered so far. And maybe you learned about Daniel and the lion's den as well. But what I wanted to do is to revisit some of these stories. Because while it's great to teach our kids these things, uh, I want my sons to have a foundation of, of the Bible in their life. I want them to know the stories of Scripture. It's worth it for us as adults to go back and to see what we can, can gather from those. So I hope that it's been a blessing to you as it has been for me. So Daniel and the Lion's Den is what we're going to cover today. And if there's anything that, that plays really well for kids, it's Daniel and the Lion's Den. I mean, you can imagine coloring that coloring sheet, can't you? You can imagine uh, taking the crayon out of the box and coloring Daniel and the lions. And you can imagine maybe the fear that Daniel had. I mean, little boys love this story, right? Because it's, you're going up against the lions. Uh, Daniel versus these lions. This, this plays really well for VeggieTales. You have Daniel, you have lions, you have angels closing the, the lion's mouths. And so what we see in here, and while it's a great story for kids, we see things that will speak to our lives as well. And so if you have a Bible today, go to Daniel chapter 6, and we will start there. Most of the scriptures today will be on the screen, but we are going to be in God's word a lot today. So I have, hope you have that next to you. Let's start reading in Daniel chapter 6. Verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him, because he was trustworthy, and neither corrupt nor negligent. 
Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of God. So one thing you need to know about the book of Daniel and about this story in particular is that there is a new king on board. When the Israelites are sent into exile, first, the first king that we meet in, in Daniel is King Nebuchadnezzar. He's a Babylonian. And flash forward to Daniel chapter 6, and now we have a Persian king, Darius. So something has happened here. Things have changed, and yet Daniel has remained steadfast as a trustworthy advisor. We'll get into that in a minute. But what, one of the things I want you to know from those first five verses is just the reputation that Daniel holds. Daniel is someone who everybody knows. He's one of the four most powerful people in all of the Persian Empire. And he is such that Darius is going to put him in charge of everything. That's who Daniel is. Daniel is from an occupied territory. Babylon, Babylon took over Judah, and now one of Judah's own is going to rule the Persian Empire. I love how scripture talks about Daniel here. He's trustworthy. He's neither corrupt, nor is he negligent. He is the perfect man for the job. And they know exactly, the only, there's only one way they can get him. They know, they know what's important to Daniel. One thing that's important to Daniel is that he is devout to God. Before all things, before all other laws, he will follow the law of God. They want him out of the picture, but they know that there's nothing that they can do. He'll never break the law. He'll never be bad at his job. The only thing that they can do is something to do with the law of God. Again, Daniel is devout. He is prayerful. He lives out his faith. And we're going to see how Daniel spends his life in prayer and how prayer impacts his life. So much so that it reminded me of this quote. Prayer makes a godly person and puts within them the mind of Christ, the mind of humility, of self-surrender, of service, of pity, and of prayer. If we really pray, we will become more like God, or else we will quit praying. And that last phrase in particular, that is who Daniel is. The more that Daniel spends his life living it out in a devout way to God, the more he becomes godly the more he becomes like God. And we'll see that play out. Let's continue in verse 6. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So the strategy for these people is to try to trap Daniel, and there's only one way to do it. Again, Daniel, there are two things they know about him. He's devout to God, and he's devout to his disciplines. He's devout to God. He will not stray from that. And he will devoutly pray to God daily. This is who Daniel is. So the only thing that they can do is to make those, one of those two things illegal. They know, again, that he's not going to break the law of the Medes and the Persians. He's not going to be bad at his job. And one thing that you need to know is this is a, an unusual request. 
The Persian kings never really took on this deified stance in history before. It wasn't like the Roman Empire will come to be, you know, Caesar will be known as the Son of God. Which is why when Jesus says, I am the Son of God, why that is so striking. Caesars were thought of as the Son of God. Persian kings did not take on a deified stance. They were not standing between their people and their gods. They were just the king. And so this, this is a little different, but Darius, like any of us, can fall prey to our own ego. And so when someone comes to Darius and says, come on, let's just pray to you. Let's make you higher than you already are. And what's happening here in the situation, what the writer of Daniel wants you to see is that there is going to be this comparison. Are you, church, going to be like Daniel? Or are you going to be like these other administrators, satraps, or even King Darius? It's up for you to decide. Verse 10. When Daniel learned that the, that the decree has been published, he went home to his upstairs rooms, to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? Did you? Did you do that? I mean, it was our idea. You did that, though, right? That's kind of how it reads to me. The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, and it cannot be repealed. They said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty. Or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel, and he made every effort until sundown to rescue him. Daniel responds in a way that I could only hope to in my own life. When he gets bad news, when he hears something that completely goes against his beliefs, his convictions, his morals, he leans into God. The first thing he does is he goes and he prays, even though that's the one thing that's illegal. I don't feel like prayer is that important to me, and it's never been illegal for me to pray. Daniel knows that there's only one option for me, and it's to go to God. So Daniel does exactly as they would hope. Daniel walks right into the trap that they set. Daniel sees the trap and willingly walks into it. And what happens next is a little puzzling at first. The king is greatly distressed. And I would ask, did he not know Daniel? He trusted Daniel so much that the text even told us that he was going to put him in charge of everything. Did he not know Daniel? Everybody else knew what would get Daniel. Everybody else knew that if we just tell him he can't pray, he's going to do it anyways. How does King Darius not know Daniel? I think what you see here is how blinding our own ego, our own pride can be. Darius is blinded by his ego, blinded by his pride, and he does it anyways. And this is a constant theme throughout the book of Daniel. If you go back to Daniel chapter 4, under King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he dreams of a large tree, and it's a tree that's beautiful, and has beautiful fruit. Birds live in the tree, animals live in its shade. 
And he doesn't understand the dream. Because the dream has that an angel from heaven is going to cut down the tree. And so Nebuchadnezzar brings Daniel. Daniel interprets the dream for him. And Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that tree. That you have turned away from the God of heaven and earth. And because of your wickedness and pride, you will be cut down. Nebuchadnezzar has a chance to change and he doesn't do it. It takes one year. But after a year, Nebuchadnezzar utters this prideful statement. Look at this great city Babylon that I have built. And at that moment, God cuts him off from his own kingdom. It says this in Daniel chapter 4 verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace. He said, is this not the great Babylon that I built, my royal residence, by my own mighty power and the glory of my majesty? Even, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your, your authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. And so too his son in the very next chapter, King Belshazzar. We're told in chapter 5 he calls and he has a large banquet. He's, ha- he's throwing a party. Only he wants to take it up a notch. And he remembers that his, his father, King Nebuchadnezzar, had looted the temple of the Lord in Judah. And so Belshazzar says, for my party, let's bring out the gold and silver, silver goblets. He's showing just how rich he is. He's showing his authority and his dominion over his occupied people. And as he's drinking from these goblets that are from the temple of the Lord, his hand starts writing on the wall. And again, nobody knows what it means. Nobody knows what is going on here except for Daniel. And so in Daniel chapter 5, Daniel describes that just like your, heart, your father's heart was hardened, just like your father was taken by pride, so to you, Belshazzar. Your pride is your downfall. And you know, Darius, the same thing happens. People come to him and say, wouldn't it be nice to pray to you for 30 days? And all of a sudden, he's hit with these unintended consequences that the man that he trusts, the man that he's going to put over his entire kingdom, falls prey to his decree. He was blinded by his own ego. We're finding examples that there are these people in Daniel that are fighting, that are clawing for a place to stand. They're fighting for their own authority, for their own power, for their own glory. And over here you have Daniel that's just looking for a place to kneel in prayer. Which one will you be? Fighting for your own glory, for your own authority, or falling before the Father in prayer? See, I think prayer has so formed Daniel that I think this this quote is true of him. Desire and pray always that God's will may be perfectly fulfilled in you. Daniel is fulfilling the will of God. By going into the lion's den, he is living out God's will for him. He is the witness of of God to Persia. That's who Daniel is. Let's continue the story in verse 16. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. The king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him. He could not sleep. 
At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel. He shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I, found, I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong to you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed, gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. Before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. King Darius wrote to all nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and revere the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I don't imagine, even though the mouths were shut by angels, I don't imagine that this was a comfortable situation for Daniel. Imagine, if you will, you're being lowered into... A den full of lions. Oftentimes, our coloring books uh, will depict this like Daniel kind of like lounging on the lions, you know, like using them like a pillow. I don't think that's what happened here. I don't know about you, but I don't think I would have felt comfortable all night. I'd be standing over in the corner like, just don't look at me. Um, Daniel, though, knows where he's going. He knows what the consequences will be. He does not shy away from the lion's den. I will do anything in my power to not be uncomfortable. I will do anything in my power to avoid painful, suffering-type situations. And Daniel willingly walks into the lion's den. He willingly goes where he knows God is sending him. And if you look there in chapter 6, look at the effect that it has. Throughout the entire empire, they are knowing the name of God because of what Daniel is willing to do. Because Daniel is faithful. Because he believes that God is in control. The entire empire knows the name of his God. You know, throughout this sermon today, I've given you a couple different Quotes about prayer, and I have another one for you coming up in a minute. Because what I, what I want you to see is the power of prayer in Daniel's life. That because of his commitment to prayer, because of his commitment to God, he's willing to go where he knows God has sent him. See, prayer is all about reorienting ourselves. It's all about realigning us with God's will. When you go to prayers, when you might realize just how far off the track you've gotten. You go to God's word and you read about his will for your life and you go to prayer and it is affirmed and it helps bring you back. See, I, can, I, I know that the only way Daniel can do what he does is because of his prayer life. Because he is committed to prayer. He's willing to go in there. 
He's willing to go into the lion's den. I remember one time being in Colorado with my parents and uh, we were going on this drive, you know, as, as you read about it, it's going to be a very pretty drive. Anyone can go. But somewhere along the way, we got lost. We were in my parents' minivan and we were going what I could only describe as, as four-wheel drive only. And maybe, maybe you really shouldn't even be in a vehicle. Maybe you should just be walking. We end up going down this mountain and, you know, I remember looking out the window and be like, this, this cannot be right. Um, that, that van is still on that mountain today. Um, that's not true. But I remember multiple times having to stop. We have to get, move some rocks over so the van can continue. We have to move rocks in place so that there's something to drive over. Somewhere along the way, I don't know who was navigating. I'm not going to say which one, but one of my parents was navigating. And somewhere along the way, we, we took the wrong turn. Somewhere along the way, we needed to go back and say, wait a minute, something's, something's off here. And that's exactly what prayer is like in our life, church. That you can be going down a path that you think is right, and you have to stop. You have to go back to God. You have to be committed to prayer to say, wait a minute, this isn't right. This is not the path he has for me. It's about getting back to the basis, basics. It's about hitting our knees and to remember the things that we know, such as God is God, and I am not. God is the creator, I am the created. God is ever-present, I am only in one place at a time. God is all-knowing, I'm not as smart as I think that I am. God's will is the one I should seek, not my own. And in God's name is the one to be glorified and praised, not my name. And prayer helps us to remember those truths. Consider even Jesus' teaching on prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Before he gives the Lord's Prayer, he gives this instruction in verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, like Daniel, go into your room, Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Isn't it wild how even prayer can be an avenue of our own glory? Whether we try to use many words or fancy words, or we try to tell God all the things that we've done. But look at how that compares to the prayer that Jesus gives us. Listen for the humility that he asks of us. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God's name is to be praised. God's will is to be done. We rely on him for our daily bread. We rely on him for our forgiveness. We rely on him for our delivery. See, the prayer of Jesus is one of humility. It's not about ourselves. It's about him. So there are many things we can take from this famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. You can think about the lions that you are facing right now. Will you have the faithfulness in God to follow him even if it leads you into the lion's den? 
We have this story of who would you choose? Will you be fighting for your own glory or will you fall on your knees before the Father? Will you put to death in your life any of your own pride, your own selfishness, and lean in to him? Daniel was devoted to prayer even when he knew that it would, would cost him everything, even if it cost his own life. But he's devoted to prayer because his life has been transformed. In a world that is filled with the pattern of ego and pride and looking out for our own selves, Daniel in prayer has been changed. And so too can you, church. Soren Kierkegaard said, The function of prayer is not to influence God, but it's rather to change the nature of the one who prays. That was true for Daniel, and it's true for you as well, church. So the call for you today is to lean into prayer. When you've gone off the tracks, when you're seeking your own will and maybe you don't even know it, is to fall on your knees in prayer and to pray that God's will would be done in our lives, that he would be glorified, that we will put to death in our life any of our own selfishness, our own pride, that we would seek after him with everything, even when it costs you everything. Even when he leads you into the lion's den, we follow him. Because we know there's only one that's in control. And that's our Father in heaven. He was in control then of Daniel's life. And he's in control today of your life as well. So church, the call today is to lean into him. If you would please stand with me. I want to close us with this prayer. A prayer that embodies the Jesus prayer and who Daniel's life represented. Please pray with me. Father God, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to do what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray.